Welcome to Jason in the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Paul McCoy. And I am Sean Hill. Wrapping up our look at the 19 commercial films made by David Cronenberg, excluding his short films and his student films and stuff that's just oddball stuff. Um, we're going to rank the 19, or in Sean's case, 17 films die that David Cronenberg commercially released. I and, started late. I missed the first two. No apologies. Well, uh, spoilers. I don't think they're going to make either of our top 10. I beg to differ. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I, 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 bet, I bet one will. Ooh. And uh, we will just kind of go around in the room in a circle and share our comments and uh, we'll improvise. This We're going to wing it. And I uh, hope you think it's fun. So why don't we do like a one of us go first with number 19 and then yeah we'll just keep going around in a circle okay who wants to start i'll start what the heck okay. my number 19 cronenberg movie so we should i should say like as we were saying before we started the call i don't think any of his movies are bad movies i think he's a master filmmaker i think from beginning to end all his films are excellent and intriguing and often quite weird so these are movies ranked against each other right not against like all other films yep exactly yes just against himself because my number 19 movie is a dangerous method and i think like if other filmmakers had made it, it would be like right in the middle of the pack of their filmography but for him um, I felt like it was the weakest film because it's just a little stodgy, a little dull. Like I think Karen Knightley is just too much in this movie. She alternates between a, being a good actress and just being always at 11. There's a lot of intriguing elements, but it just didn't work for me. Yep, I can see that. It ended up number 18 on mine. Um Again, for most of the same reasons, it's it's a little slow. I, I wasn't. I, I I wanted more. I wanted more of a plot and less of a just historical reenactment hitting highlights of of their lives. Uh, but that's really the main thing for me. Is just it was. It just didn't have a, a a solid narrative trajectory. I don't think. wasn't wasn't terrible, but it was it was it was the least one of the least Cronenberg films on the list for me. Well, I will disagree with both of you. I it's not it's five movies above the bottom on my list. Mm. Um, and I thought it was a success. I think the difficulty with it is that Cronenberg basically sympathized more with Freud than Jung. Mm -hmm. I, I think he made Freud the hero and Jung the villain. And that's a very atypical take, right? Usually people are very sympathetic to Jung. He, he's the more touchy-feely psychoanalyst, Eastern philosophy, the more experimental. But I think Cronenberg, in his sort of scientific detachment mode, thought Freud made a lot of sense and Jung was kind of a flake. 
and and he got yeah yeah michael fassbender michael fassbender i always get him confused with the director i guess yeah he he often plays villains right he's magneto so he's portraying an overprivileged kind of flaky dude who takes advantage of the people around him and the situations he's in and that makes the main character unsympathetic but i found it a really interesting take i didn't have any problems with kira's performance um, I think, you know, if we wanted to see a, a, a representation of the idea of 19th century hysteria, the charge directed towards women who non nonconformist women, you know, for, for decades in that era, she embodied that. So I, I, I don't know if it was a lot of fun, but I thought it was a success as a film. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. But I just didn't. It didn't. I didn't engage with it. It's a. It ended up down down at the bottom. Eighteen for me. Yeah, what number was most, it for you? I think it was maybe the most intellectual, as opposed to emotional, of all his films. We yeah, watched. yeah, I could see that. It's my number twelve. Number twelve. Okay. Uh, Sean, why don't you do your number nineteen? Uh, my bottom is Spider. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I, you know, there are some of, I've, I've been buying a lot of these DVDs for our project, you know, to, to have my Cronenberg collection. And hey. I can see of the, of the, of the growing Cronenberg collection I have amassed, that's one I'm going to put like on the back of the shelf. Like I don't plan to see it again. I might even donate it or resell it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I, I can see where he was going with the movie. I like all of those performers, but I, I didn't connect with it at all. I found it I found it I just found the main character completely unsympathetic. Hmm. Okay. I thought it was I have it, I have it as my number 17. 17. Man, uh, y'all. <laughs> I thought it was like extremely well made and interesting. And spooky, and I love Ray Fiennes as the lead character. That was extremely well acted, but I just never connected to the film it, it, deliberately. Right, deliberately, I felt like it was a little cold for me. And I, I admire the hell out of Cronenberg for his uh, stylization and his experimentation. It's funny. I I look at my ratings, and I rated it a four star film, which is above certainly a number of the movies I have above it, but um. It's a movie that kind of has slipped from my mind a bit, too. Well, here's the first controversy. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Yeah. Spider, for me, is number three. Wow. All the way up there. Wow. It's it's. I felt like it was just pure cinema. It was the most successful filmmaking of just pure filmmaking of, I think, any of the films. As far as uh, narrative storytelling goes, it's all visual. The, it, he doesn't walk you through anything. Uh, it's a difficult film, and I, I agree. And it's difficult to connect with the character be, because he is so isolated and shut down emotionally. But 
I mean, we just see and experience the way he's shut down emotionally in in everything, in the settings, in the street scenes, uh, in in the way that the camera moves from from Ray Fiennes' character to just the the uh, what was it the the factory or whatever it was that's outside the 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 host the hostel. Uh, it's just. I felt it was just an amazing, immersive experience and one of the most pure, most pure cinematic experiences on the on the list. So that knocked it up all the way up to three for me. You make a good case for it, Paul, especially as pure cinema. Yeah, it's I I mean it I I watching it the this last time, I was just stunned by everything. The, the the attention to detail in in every single aspect of the film just blew my mind. Hmm. So there's that. <laughs> I'm glad we're disagreeing. <clears throat> what do you have as your bottom? My bottom is M Butterfly. Um, mainly because it takes the a lot of the flaws of a dangerous method and just kind of enhances them the 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 reliance on not necessarily a traditional narrative and perhaps maybe because both of those were, were based on plays he seemed to be too beholden to the theatric the, the theater experience of the play and neither one of them really connected to me uh, as a as a story or as, as a film. Uh, the performances again were fantastic. The direction was great, especially this for his first time shooting overseas and getting a, a real budget to, to do like shooting some in China and everything. But uh, yeah, the, 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 the reliance on the stage plays structure and dialogue just never let me connect to it and i also had a problem with all the french people being played by british people and it didn't they didn't that there was a disconnect for me well i had i guess it's monsieur butterfly is my number 18 okay. and i think i would concur with almost everything you say there it just never i don't think it it worked as in the cinema in a cinematic form, except in bits and pieces. There were sections of it I thought were remarkable, like the scenes of the revolution in China mm -hmm. were yeah. like exciting and compelling and really intriguing. But then I thought the, and I thought the relationship was interesting between the, uh, essentially the spy and the other spy, the uh, Chinese spy and the French, the French spy. But it never really kind of connected emotionally for me at all. And then the whole the cross-dressing slash gender uh, illusion aspect just felt so strange. It just never worked for me. And I was stuck with logic questions about the film that uh, clearly were not his intention at all. So yeah, I had this 18. What about you, Sean? Where was it? For me, for me, it was 14. It was it was definitely not one of his more successful projects. 
but I think, you know, it touched on some very difficult topics, some sensitive topics that I'm particularly <laughs> concerned with, mm -hmm. like gender identity and uh, cross-dressing, drag performance, repressed homosexual desire. I don't think any of those topics come naturally to Cronenberg. Right. Yeah. Right. I think he's interested in them, but I don't know if he's again, it's like his his scientific approach takes over. Exactly. It's it's an intellectual look, but he doesn't connect emotionally. Yeah. And so the emotions are sort of what were there in the in the play. And the play is a very dated 80s sort of experience, mm -hmm. right? Pre, yeah. pre all the pop culture, pre-gay marriage, pre all the pop culture media, um, alternative lifestyle stuff, you know, that is so well known now, it's a threat to conservative powers that be, right? They're, they're scared of how open things have become. And this is sort of a, a story of the closet. Yeah. And certainly well acted and well filmed. And I think um, the Asian main character did a wonderful job. But the sympathy should have really been with her. Mm-hmm. And it was instead with Jeremy Irons, who came off as kind of an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. John Lone is fantastic in the film. You're right about that. Yeah. And he makes this powerful speech like, how did you knew I was a man and you knew I was in love with you? And instead of confronting that, Irons' character goes to jail and kills himself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, which is very theatrical, theatrical, but and and not what actually happened in the true life story. Yeah. So, OK, well, you heard my number 18. So who wants to do their 18? My 18 was a dangerous method, so we've we've covered it already. What was your 19? Mine, mine was in Butterfly. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. yep. So next in line for me at the bottom is Maps to the Stars. Okay. I had that as my number 15. That's 16 for me. Well, so none of us have it very high. Mm -mm. No. Again, great performances, but story that's sort of... I don't know, melodramatic almost. Yeah. No, nobody to no no main character to identify with. I'm really we, looking in movies, I guess, for kind of a hedonistic, enjoyable experience some of the time. <laughs> and and my bottom my bottom four do not give me that from Cronenberg. They're too, too, too tragic 
without providing like an emotional release or a catharsis. Yeah, for me, uh, you know, it comes in at 16 for a lot of those same reasons. It, 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 it but this was this was a difficult one for me. I wasn't sure where to put it. It, it wasn't going to get up into the you know the top ten, but I I initially thought it was going to be higher up in that bottom section. But in looking at all of the films together, it did seem to just it lacked something. Uh, it had great performances, and maybe it was the the Hollywood aspect of it that that ends up making it feel i don't want to say shallow but it, like because it, it's going for for tragedy for over-the-top tragedy and and i liked that but in comparison to the other films on this on these lists it just didn't hold up as well so i don't really have anything bad to say about it but it it the good doesn't stand up to the really good I think the Hollywood setting works against it because we've had so many Hollywood tragedies. Maybe. And a lot of what makes us better movies feel better is that we are in ground where we don't usually cover or places at least that we don't really spend time in. Um, And like, I love Julianne Moore. I think she's a fantastic actress. But her part here felt so similar to other parts she's played. And uh, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. It doesn't detract from Cronenberg's vision, but it just makes the film feel uh, less fresh. And also the film just has this weird, relentless aspect to it. It's it's a bit of misery porn. Hmm. I guess see I that. Agree. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I think for me, the focus, right, the... Emily Wasikowski character, she's her, her story is too outlandish. It's just hard to believe all the parts of it that come together by the end. Yeah. And much more interesting are the asides about all the Hollywood monsters that she's taking down. And, you know, I, I mentioned when we did the movie that it reminded me of that uh christopher guest movie for your consideration right right mm -hmm. where we see Catherine o'hara create one of these hollywood monsters like the more famous she gets the worse she becomes in every way and you know it's sort of a satire and it's it, it's outlandishly you know exaggerated right like the makeup like like her plastic surgery by the end of the movie She's a woman in her 50s trying to look 22. Mm -hmm. And she's meant to be a monster, really. And Catherine O'Hara, of course, is more than willing to go down that road. But in this one, Julianne is just as bad, like just so morally bankrupt on every level. And yet, when she's punished for it, it's, it's almost anticlimactic. It's like, you know, she's just another victim victim in a slasher movie. It would have been interesting to see this film uh, if it had been presented with a, a different type of narrative, something something that kind of combined what he did with Spider with uh, something more more natural or not naturalistic, but more uh, traditional. Because I would have liked to have seen more of 
maybe it's more exaggeration. The exaggeration may have worked better if we were seeing it from uh, the main character's eyes as she's as she's losing her mind and going crazy again. Uh, maybe that would have added some something to it, but I don't know. It just didn't all come together entirely. Well, we have a consensus on this one. Mm-hmm. So did we yeah. all do? We all did eighteen, right? So um, again, my seventeen was Spider. So we've already discussed that. Yeah, my seventeen, Eastern Promises. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well here we go again here we go again. <laughs> this is why these are fun to do it's my number six. Oh, number yeah seven okay. for me okay yep i i don't i don't i can't uh argue that against that but for me it was the most contrived uh least least uh interesting film of his middle period of this his serious period um it comes just above maps to the or just below maps to the stars for me uh, which was 16 so it, it wow it was it was they were the performances were great um uh who what's her name who the lead actress naomi watts naomi watts uh left no impression on me whatsoever by the time it was over um, and then the the big twist where Vigo is an undercover cop infiltrating the mafia was just too much for me to to take seriously anymore. That was uh, a deal breaker for you. Yeah, yeah, you uh, talked it, about that a lot when we first recorded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I wanted I wanted the character to have be more complex than that, and instead, the complexity shifts to. Uh, uh, it makes him less of a character who is really dealing with, you know, uh, this conflict of wanting to save this girl and the baby in the end, where he's he's because he's a cop, he's almost obligated to have that reaction since he's an undercover cop. I wanted him to be more uh, more troubled and be someone who is really in that world and really finding a way to relate to someone outside and, and try to connect with them. So that was, that was really the deal breaker. And, it, but the performances were fantastic. Vigo was uh, just amazing. Um, and, uh, oh, what is his name? The other, the other lead male. Armin mueller Stahl. No, no, no. He's no. the old patriarch. Yeah, no, his son. It, Oh, um, the guy from A Dangerous Method. Yeah. And he was, uh, he was in Black Swan. My mind's Victor just Cassell? Blank. Yes, yes, yes. I, I thought Vincent he was fantastic Cassell. too. Vincent Cassell. Vincent Cassell. Yeah, he was fantastic too. I wanted I would I would have much been more interesting in seeing the two of their characters' dynamics and develop and build uh without having the the uh British crime drama plot thrown in to kind of make it all palatable to you know your mainstream audience but that was my so, so for that it ended up down at 17 third from the bottom i think your argument about the character arc is a great argument because yeah we don't get that arc because we're robbed of it by having him be a double agent uh, but, but i still not, think go ahead john 
he's not the only character. And for me, it's like the best episode of Luther I never saw. Yeah. Yep. Right. I, I like that it's like a, a really uh, deluxe movie version of a British crime yeah. drama. He's the blank of being just a good, nice person that happens to overlap with her medical tra human trafficking. Yeah. And I just thought it was lush. It was visually appealing. The story developed from scene to scene and in a sort of easy to follow, entertaining way. The surprise reveals were surprising, and uh, it is with Cronenberg and Sism in, in there. The satisfying movie experience, plus naked knife fight in the sauna. Yeah, that's a classic movie scene that will live forever. That's an iconic sequence in this movie, and iconic sequences. I mean, I I am shallow. They bump them. Nobody else had ever done that in quite that way. Yeah, I mean, I think Eastern Promises is a good movie. It, it is, it is. But yeah, it just didn't work for me. Like, I mean, this is all splitting hairs from, from here on out, as far as I'm concerned. Almost any of these could be jumbled and, and reordered, depending on the day. Well, I think, I think you felt it was um, like formulaic, like... Mm -hmm you know, a, a crime genre movie that didn't really transcend that. Right. And I kind of liked that Cronenberg could turn out such a well-done and, at moments anyway, riveting crime drama movie with, you know, the sort of indelible character that Vigo created as a contrast to his insane mobster friend and his um quasi love interest of the innocent re relatively innocent nurse mm -hmm. right they're all living in this quagmire of corruption with a facade of gentility right with the russian immigrant community running restaurants instead of all the other businesses that those are hiding and I just found it like a satisfying story that hit a lot of entertaining beats along the way. It's it's what, very well done for what it is. Yeah. What number did you have it at? Six. Six. That's right. And what was yours, Jason? Seven. Seven. Six and seven. So there's, that's a top ten. It's a top ten controversy before okay. we even. <laughs> Were we even out of the top seventeen, the the top, the bottom three or four? But well, Sean, your seventeen was is your butterfly, right? No, it was spider. Spider. Okay, so I think we're on sixteen now. Sean, what was your sixteen? Um. Well, the one of my movies near the bottom that we haven't touched on yet is Dead Ringers. That's below oh. Madam Butterfly for me. Hmm. and that's my I know that's one of the classics right they're just remaking it with a extended gender swap series right now yeah that's that's all I think that's all dropped already just this past week or so I haven't had a chance to, to take a look at it yet 
Yeah, Me neither. Is, I am no. kind of intrigued to try because to turn Dead Ringers into a feminist uh, manifesto, mm -hmm. that's going to take some writing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I believe it's an all-female writing team on the series. Wow. And of so, course, Rachel Weiss is the Jeremy Irons r dual role. So what number did this end up on your list? 15. 15, okay. Yeah. I have a Why so low? Yeah. Um, I wanted one of the brothers to save themselves. I do not think they were doomed to mutual suicide. Hmm. Okay. I wanted uh, Genevieve Bujold, who has had this power in other movies, to save the one she wants to save. Um, I thought she was a really charismatic actress playing an actress in the movie. And it made me think a lot of um, that De Palma movie with Cliff Robertson and she. Obsession. No, oh, okay. I haven't yeah. seen that one. I know it's haven't funny. either. Oh, you got to see this movie, guys. It, it It's one of the like classic, it, it's probably the least appreciated De Palma that's actually really good. Hmm. And basically, um, Genevieve has a dual role. She is his wife who dies tragically. And then she's a young art restorer he runs into years later who looks just like her. Is it a and is he obsessed with her or is she obsessed? And the story just gets... Um, it's an early De Palma... Um, Hitchcock pastiche. Kind of total thing. Hitchcock pastiche. And it's got uh, the guy from Third Rock from the Sun. John Lithgow. John Lithgow. I think it's his first De Palma movie. And, you know, they become an amazing team in in De Palma's work more than once. I just and, watched uh, Just to Kill last week, and I love that period of De Palma. Yeah. Yeah, and and he's the villain in Blowout. Oh, I think that's mm -hmm. the best movie. And in this movie, he's got a very. Um, it's just like it's real. It's one of those stories that they have to explain the plot at the end because it you, you're just you cannot follow it. It's so convoluted. But anyway, she is very great in that, and she and I thought she was great in this, and the fact that Beverly or Elliot or whichever tried to make a life with her but failed was a bit was just like the the joy killer for me of watching the film ah okay that makes sense i can see that where was it on six, yours jason i had number four on my list number four i had six for me i think the irons performance is astonishing of course goes without saying and um i was really caught up in like the way these characters lives just fall apart uh, just because their own perversity and, and strangeness and this whole idea of the 
doubles trying to live each other's lives, but really destroying each other's lives. That was really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this this one also ranked really high for me because of from the technical aspect, from the way that they were able to film Irons as, as both twins and, and really make it work and make it believable. Uh, there's maybe only one shot, maybe two that in the whole film that took me out of the moment. Uh, and so, and I, I've, you know, I'm a weirdo and I buy, I bought in completely to the tragic ending where nobody's, you know, neither twin is getting out alive because they're just too connected. They can't live without each other. Paul, did but, we hear your number 16? Hmm? Did we hear your number 16? My 16 was Maps to the Stars. Okay. My 16 was Crimes of the Future. Oh. Interesting. Which is a movie that just didn't quite come together at all for me. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed a lot of the aspects of it. Um, I thought it was beautifully shot. Um, the grotesqueries of it were really intriguing. But... There's so many elements to it that either didn't quite come together or that just didn't play as well as I hoped they would. For example, there's this whole concept of the interior beauty contest. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really cool and intriguing and it just kind of gets dropped. And there's a lot of aspects of the film that got dropped. I also didn't like the kind of very small nature of the film. It's a film that really demanded to be on a, on a bigger canvas. And we just don't get a larger vision of the world in this movie. I'll just a little bit of nodding towards the bigger world to me would have made a big difference. So that's why I ranked it so low. It wasn't as compelling as, as I felt like it really could have been. And I, I got to say, I feel like in some ways the rust showed. Yeah, I, I agree. Where was, where was that on your list, Sean? Well, uh, first the rust. Jason? Yeah. What what is that? What do you mean the rust? Well, it's been eight years since he made a full movie. And I feel like he made some decisions that they just didn't feel contemporary to, to a, a newer movie in, in a way. Oh. Uh well, we did say that it was basically from the existence era, right? Yeah. yeah pre that. You know, even so I, I see it as like a, a, a pair with existence despite the lapse in time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was seven for me. Okay. Ooh, wow. It was okay. just below Eastern Promises. I just found it so satisfying. Like, I would say, I, you know, I've been complaining about all the endings that I hated, right? Oh, yeah, Today. that's true. Yeah. The ending of this was transcendently wonderful for me. It made the whole movie come together. And really, he had me from the, the high chair that helps you eat breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Like, as soon as I saw those things, I'm like, I'm in. This is my movie. And uh, I will not be, you know, sending the DVD to Better World Books. This one is <laughs> proudly in my collection. Well, I, this one, I thought this was going to be much higher on my list, but it came in at 14 for me. Uh, which was a surprise. I, I think I think it. I think maybe the screenplay needed to be reworked rather than just going straight from this, the screenplay that he wrote the years ago. Um, uh, it, it lacked 
it lacked depth i think it 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 had a a main idea about about art and the lives of the artists and uh i don't think it really went much farther than that but again beautifully shot the the effects are great uh that that ending that is one of his best endings i will agree with that yeah but uh but it just it it just kind of fell short for me overall I agree about the whole idea of the art, the artist aspect of it too. The artist who creates organs as it's be- as these beautiful aesthetic things is such an interesting idea. And it's just kind of underutilized to me. Yeah, I wanted more more weirdness. It it wasn't weird enough <laughs> for me. I, I I think there was a feeling though, you know, the stripped down feeling, maybe it was budget, whatever it yeah. was. He, he was making the most of what was available to him. That's true. Like, I didn't really need the world to be expanded so much. Because, I mean, they did have, you know, a lot of people had died. Like, it was post-apocalyptic. These were, the, this was what was left. And what were they, what they were doing with what was left after probably like a famine or something. Even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We get that tiny bit at the beginning with the ship. Yeah, I just want a little more of that. I can see this reduced world with these really gifted people trying to make something out of this bleak existence, and uh, and and it like existence, it really gave the actors each their little sort of manic moments to watch them do what they do. Right, it was a really fun weird Kristen Stewart performance mm-hmm. and Leah Sedu, you know, has her scene where she's at the self uh, cutting party of art. And she's, and she's like, I want to cut more. And <laughs> like, I, I think it was pretty weird. It, it was, I'm just spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, again, something that you just said reminded me uh, another thing that was an issue for me in watching it is is that that total immersion into this other science fiction world. Like I I did want more world building. I did want to know more about what's actually happening and and the politics. The politics seemed kind of uh, simplistic, maybe. And I wanted to see more of that. And then, and then again, you've got also got the double agent thing, which, which just I'm not a fan of. Right, right. But, that's some sort of crutch for Cronenberg. Yeah, that yeah. That's that was, and that's that's the thing. This the film, there were a lot of crutches in this film. And you um, also pointed out, Paul, that the costumes were underwhelming. Yeah, but and I mean, they, but that they, that they works with done the, a lot to do to, for yeah. the world building. Had they been better? Yeah, the costuming, because that's such a strong aspect of everything else. You know, even everything down to the costumes and setting. It, they 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 give you character. They they expand on the personalities and you know bring you into the world. And these were they, these were simplistic, but it, I mean, it works with with the reality that he's trying to build. I I, I see that, but I could have I could have used more world building. Yeah, so we talked about each of our 16s. Did we talk about each of our 15s? No, my 15 is something that we've all just actually mentioned is existence. Mm. It's, a, it's a good combo with Crimes of the Future. 
And I had Crimes of the Future at 14, but Existence just just fell under it to 15, uh, which is maybe, bec- I, don't, I don't know. It, it, it had the same kind of immersive world that I was, you know, that I, that I liked, but was a problem with the way it was expressed in Crimes of the Future. Existence did it, but it, it expressed it by just holding our hand and walking us through and explaining everything that's happening. Uh, which as far as the world building goes kind of put me off of that it it drew me out and then again it had that twist ending with triple agents double agents triple agents i don't know what was happening what what he was going for there but i didn't like the ending at all so it ends up 15 out of 19 for me where did you have existence john uh it's four, number yep. four. There we go. I see. That's what I, I I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> and I have it as number six. Yep. yep. I I love. I've always loved everything about this movie, and I mean Jennifer Jason Lee alone, and uh, is you know just a cinematic goddess. And I think it's his new romancer, right? It's his like William Gibson cyberpunk moment. Yeah. And around the time we're getting, right, when was it, 99? We got The Matrix that year. Yeah, The we Matrix and Dark the, City. What? And Dark City. Yeah, uh, we, get, we, we get all these virtual realities. Cronenberg makes it personal and physical and something you stick into your body in a messy sexual way. Yeah. I'm just fascinated. And, and the the gaming console and maybe this is because at that time in my life i was i was just starting to play super nintendo and uh nintendo 64 was the one was out that was out and then there was going to be the gamecube and then um you know eventually the wii and the wii u and i was really into these gaming modules and these and these video games so I was just primed for like this weird take on that whole world. And the fact that they become, you know, in, in cyberpunk, it was all about the avatar and all the stories from like 95 to 2005. Who was your online avatar? How cool was this alternate percent persona you could create? Right. That that had consequences in in the physical world and the virtual world, and to have the personas just be the actors doing slightly different things, I thought was just genius. Yeah, I'm with you a lot on that. Like, I thought first, I I like that the movie kind of captures a certain zeitgeist, like you're talking about this 25 year old zeitgeist now of the Matrix era, like idea of plugging yourself into this larger or this alternate virtual world and being part of this different society and then flipping around through different versions of that same world was just felt so right for the era that it was coming from. And I was actually really kind of, I had a lot of fun with this movie. This is actually my biggest surprise just by how just wacky it was in a weird way, you know, where, where the, the whole idea with the bone guns and the chasing across dimensions like this is the kind of plot that like feels like it could have been a bad episode of star trek the next generation 
but instead is just this really wacky uh cross-dimensional chase <laughs> i mean in some ways i think it's the maybe his most fun movie yeah mm. i love the holodeck comparison that's fun yeah and the holodeck episodes are very wonky there's some great ones but there's some horrible ones. yeah see when i first saw this movie i i loved it you know i, I would have if if I hadn't rewatched it, it would probably be way up higher on my list. But I, I was, so I was never into the gaming stuff. I don't, I don't do any of that. And so that's, as now I've gotten older, going back to it, I think that was a that was a barrier of entry for me. Um, if it was going to be gaming, I wanted to, I wanted to maybe be, I don't know, I, I don't know. I, it, it just didn't connect with me this time. Uh, I, I again the the performances were all great. Um, I it was groundbreaking to do this kind of a virtual reality idea back in '99. It was it was like you said the zeitgeist uh, moment. But uh, I don't know it. I, it probably holds up the least of any of those other movies that that were in that realm of uh, narrative for me. And again, the ending, the the I, I did appreciate the way that the the paranoia and the political uh, issues wormed their way into the game and and undermined the actual playing of the game. Uh, that was a great idea, and I kind of wanted, I would have preferred to see more of that played out in some way. Um, it just felt like it took too long to get to there with a lot of hand holding, and then that ending twist, I I just hated. But so, so yeah, it and it and Crimes of the Future back both round out my bottom, my bottom section, and they're both the last screenplays that he wrote. So that's interesting yeah. for me. I don't know yeah. something's. I'm just not connecting with his original writing from that from the '90s, '99 on. My 15 was Maps to the Stars, which we've already talked about, of course. Sean, what was yours? The next one, uh, and and I feel terrible about this. Um, it's Crash. <laughs> okay. It's number eleven for me. Okay, so we. Uh, I, I oh wait, sorry. At... Wait, before we get there, lower than that, Cosmopolis. What number is that? Thirteen. Okay. And I, I... like Cosmopolis. <laughs> From you know, I said the the bottom four for me were the ones that I did not like. Cosmopolis, I thought was was had a lot of had a lot of appeal and strength and innovation, but it was ultimately unsatisfying. Yeah, twelve for me. I bet you have this one higher, Paul, based on that. Uh, it's number ten. Is it? It starts my top ten. So ten, twelve, and thirteen for us. Yeah. That seems about I, right. <laughs> I I loved the progression of the story. I loved each of his having the characters show up one by one as he's driving across town. But the inevitable place that the narrative gets isn't quite the payoff I was hoping for by the end. But I enjoyed the whole journey along the way. And, and, and I thought... I just I just showed the sequence in class 
because I'm teaching an abstract art class. I showed the whole, I'm going to buy Mark Rothko's chapel and put it in my con <laughs> in my house apartment. Yeah. And I don't know how the students reacted to it. I had to give them a trigger warning that it started off with him screwing Juliette Binoche, <laughs> but it's not about the sex and that's over quickly and nobody complained. So thank goodness for that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't try to show them any of the other proctology scenes or anything, <laughs> but you know, which, is, I, which, which goes, which goes longer than the sex scene, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The longest, the longest uh, exam ever. I actually but, thought the Giamatti section was the best section of this movie to me. The way the two characters and two actors kind of play against each other. It was just really powerful, fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, Giamatti was, was doing his Giamatti thing, but that's why he was hired. And I thought Pattinson really pushed himself in every way. I, I, I liked, I liked, I liked his performance a lot. Yep, I agree with all of that. <laughs> yeah, so consensus for a change. Yeah, I mean, I, the one I think the main reason that it it ended up bumping up to my top to breaking my top ten is that it is one of the more experimental narratives yeah. that uh, that Cronenberg has done. And the fact that, and the fact that he, that he, you know, I've said this again and again, the way he wrote the script just by transcribing all the dialogue of the book and then just going back and filling in the scene information. Uh, it's one of the, uh, might be one of the most pure translations of a film or of a book to film that's ever been done. Um, yeah. And so I, that, so that, that experimental element is also what, what made it crack the top 10 for me. And I the admire the hell out of it. It just never really emotionally connected to me. Yeah. Except at the very end. Sorry, Sean. The plot is very tight, right? Mm -hmm. There are no extraneous scenes. Everything inexorably leads to the next thing. And the next thing is a surprise. So it, it, it's it's not predictable. Yeah. And so it's that, that const is impressive. And, you're, and, and he doesn't really do that in any other film in this way. Yeah. And that 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 uh, perpetual breakdown of mm. the world around you as the story goes on, yeah. Uh, until we end up in that dirty, filthy, you know, Brundlefly apartment, <laughs> uh, it's just it's just a great transition, a great a great point of destination from where we started. And I, I yeah, I I love this movie a lot, but not as much as nine others. <laughs> So you're a tiny bit ahead of us, Sean, since you had the two that you haven't seen. Yeah. So I'll do not, my number 14, which is one of those two movies, um, which is Rabid. Oh. I really enjoyed the low-budget, bespoke feel of Rabid and the whole idea of uh, another organ being attached to your body. This whole This is where a lot of the body horror stuff really starts to take off. Yeah, the Although venereal the, horror. Yeah, yeah, and her, having Marilyn Chambers be the person who has the, the organ growing out of her is a great little inside joke there too. Yeah, uh, the, the the whole kind of seventies aspect of it I thought was really cool and powerful. Just just a solid solid movie. I mean, we're getting now into the movies that I think are kind of clearly mid tier to me, and uh, you know, it didn't have like greater resonances, but it's just a great 
fun horror flick for its time. Yeah, what what number was that for you? That was 14. 14. It came in 12 for me. Okay. And I thought it was going to be higher when I started this because uh, that's that uh, those first couple of films uh, are just they're groundbreaking and, and some of my favorite films of all time, horror films, especially. But then and looking at the rankings, it was uh, it was nice to see him get a bigger budget and be able to expand uh, his vision to this, you know, sex zombie apocalypse kind of thing uh it was bleak it was it was you know very very dark ending which you know, what was that? that was 77 so you know that's the year star wars came out so this is the this is like the an anti you know a metal uh you know metal ceremony at the end yeah <laughs> uh, where her, her body is just finally dead and she just dumped in the garbage it was was brutal and awful and it was it was uh it was a young filmmaker with a hunger and it was very it was it was groundbreaking uh but ultimately it it didn't really pull together the way some of his other films did and so it didn't make the top 10 it was number 12 for me okay so we're right on with that and I'm going to keep going with 13 was Shivers, since we were talking about his early films. Ah. Now, this is what I really had conflicts with my own head about, because it's, uh, you know, it's one of your beloved zombie movies, really, Paul. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of the horror visited upon the fancy apartment building and just spreading like a coronavirus across the entirety of the apartment building is so powerful and you know all the all the moments of fear with the children and the that incredible ending where it <clears> seems <throat> like the zombies are going to take over montreal i almost rated it higher but it is still an earlier film and it still has you know it's a number of flaws to it but just a really satisfying mid-70s horror flick to me yeah uh, this was this was made in 1975. It was his first feature, uh, and it cracks the top ten. It comes in number eight for me, which I almost want to put it higher, but uh, like you say, it, it is it is very low budget, but the the concepts and the mind behind it are just so original. Mm. Um, this is one of the films I, when I did my uh, my. Uh, master's dissertation uh, uh, we talked about horror film a lot and this was one of the ones that i talked about uh and it was mainly because you you don't get it at the beginning but as it goes on uh, you know you feel like you're not sure who the main character is you know, and and it, it jumps around a little bit where the who you think is the main character gets infected by these sexually transmitted slugs things uh although they're not necessarily sexually transmitted but they they're 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 an interesting scientific idea in in the first place of uh, a parasite that will go in and uh replace failing organs uh, as a way of saving lives but then they have this compulsion to survive that is uh it's it's 
partially violent and partially sexual. And the fact that when we end, the film ends with a giant orgy in the pool mm-hmm. as the last survivor tries to hold off the building full of infected people. And then once everyone's infected, everybody's cool. <laughs> you know, there's no more violence. They just, they're, they, everyone's infected. We're like, okay, now let's all go get in our cars and let's drive into Toronto and infect everyone else there. <laughs> and it's, and it's almost like a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, we we don't get you know bad stuff happening after that. The ending is just them all calmly driving off in their cars in a line of traffic, uh, leading away from the the uh, building. And I've just I've always loved that ending. That ending is I I I just it's transcendent to me. It's, it, it's it, not as transcendent as Crimes of the Future's transcendence, but it's a different transcendence. It's the monsters winning and the monsters in the end end up being maybe, maybe they're the good, maybe they're for the best. Once everybody's infected, everybody is happy and in the community and, <laughs> and you, know, the, you know, everybody gets along. There's no conflict outside of spreading the, the slugs. Yeah. And I just love that. Said. Yeah. So it was yeah. so close to making my top five, but uh, it ended up dropping back to, to number eight for me. I think we do recommend this to you, Sean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm really intrigued. You know, you I, from listening to your the episode where you talked about these two, I didn't get the impression back then that you were ranking Shivers higher than Rabid, but you both have done that, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, it's, it's... that's the one I know. I, I mean, I only know about really from from your your the the podcast that started us off. Yeah, I really thought Rabbit would be higher on my list, but it, yeah, at the time, yeah, we hadn't revisited anything but those first two in that initially, and so because Rabbit, I knew about at the time because it was one of those you know cultural intervention movies that was that made the popular press. It's like people are rabid <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's spreading throughout the countryside, and that image of the uh, you know the poster for Rabbit was mm-hmm. so powerful. And and the porn star connection, of course, so seventies contemporary. Yeah. Um, but this is interesting that you guys, uh, the praise for shivers. Yeah, I, I definitely need to give uh, look for that. Yeah, that's what another thing about. Go oh, ahead, sorry. Paul. I was going to say another another thing that helped push shivers up higher on the list was that opening sequence where it's you've got the couple being introduced to the apartment complex and it's cutting back and forth between that and the scientist trying to kill his you know use acid to burn out this the slug and the the teenage girl that he's infected with it and it just cuts back and forth between that violence and the the tour guide expressing how how wonderful it is living in the building and all the amenities yeah that was just that was for a first film to have that be your opening sequence is just that's that's visionary and the building's very attractive right it's a very imposing presence yeah it's it's like it's like the building in high rise really yeah it's got right. it's got your shops it's got your doctors it's got everything you need you never have to leave unless right. you want to spread your slug disease to, to the rest of the world but, but it's another one of those 70s brutalist movies he likes in his early films too mm-hmm. where it's just a slab of ugly you know dehumanizing steel and concrete 
That's the safest place to live, Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a bunker <laughs> of glass wow. and steel. So, Paul, what's your next one that we haven't talked about? Um. Oh, my thirteen. Okay. A history of violence. Ooh. Outside your top 10. Outside the top 10. And Rabbit coming in just before it at number 12. So, yeah, it it didn't hold up as well as his second film for me. But And I think the main reason it didn't hold up entirely is just that last sequence where he goes to see his brother. And it all just kind of turns into a cartoon. Um, But everything up to that and then jumping that to the to the final shot of them setting down to dinner uh is fantastic it's, you know, it's some of the it's it's the is that the first time that he was doing something just straight serious cinema uh film that anybody could go see you wouldn't have to you know there's no monsters there's no weirdness outside of just this guy who is living a secret life and it was really good and it was i i love it but again, once once uh, William Hurt shows up, I, I'm taken completely out of it. So it, it knocked it down the list a little bit. Well, I think you put it really well because it really is about how much... I agree the Hurt sec- sequence is by far the worst sequence in the film. And I think the, the way you rate it depends on how much you rate the, uh, the rest of the movie versus that section of the movie. I have this as number five. Mm-hmm. Me too. It's my five. What did you have at his five, Sean? Uh, yeah, I mean, William Hurt ruins a lot of movies for me, so I can just <laughs> discount him. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've hated Kiss of the Spider Woman forever. <laughs> and um, I, I really love the gender politics. I really love how this argument about the inheritance inherent male violence in our culture affects every single member of the family. So we see it play out with the son. We see it play out with Maria Bello, who gives one of her strongest cinematic performances. And we see it play out in Vigo, who wants nothing more than to stop hurting everybody. But he's so good at hurting everybody. (laughs) That it's 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 this it's this tragic conflict. I see him as like a mythologically tragic character yeah. in this movie. Oh, I really like that, and, and and I like that mythology, you know. And that makes Ed Harris. Ed Harris is basically practicing for the evil robot in <laughs> yeah. Westworld in this yeah. movie, <laughs> and uh, his audition oh, is a success, right? He's very good at that when he wants to be. Yep. And it's just it's just a tight, entertaining, surprising, uh, serious examination of our larger culture and our most private family dynamics at the same time. And without our, making any judgments, yeah, too. That's... Without making any judgment, and also our in, inherent behavior as humans. Right inside all of us is this capacity for violence, and so therefore we can never completely escape it. We can only just uh, leave it aside for the moment, put it aside, 
But as soon as we have a reason for that veneer to be lifted, we can be violent. I mean, I find it so powerful in the context of 2023 and all the violence we have in our American society these days. Uh, it really just resonates so powerful to me that the deep-seated uh, ability that all of us have to hurt others. Yeah. I think one of the main reasons that it ended up dropping down to uh, 13 on my list is because it came right after Spider uh, and release. Spider was 2002 and then History of Violence was 2005. And Spider was to me, just such a, a pure uh, immersion into that world that a history of violence seemed almost like a, a massive course correction to doing something that a mainstream audience can just latch onto from the start and really get in, get into. Um, and so for that's really the reason that it kind of dropped down a little bit further. It, it, it lost experimental points, but it's a solid narrative uh, and has a lot of good stuff going on in it. So then my 12 was Cosmopolis. My 12 was Rabid. So my I've got an 11. What's what's everybody else's next? I have Naked Lunch at 11. Oh, okay. And that's my crash. That's your crash. That's where crash is. And mine is Dead Zone. So we've got a lot of... Okay, I have Dead Zone at 10. I've got Dead Zone at 3. Ooh, okay. And I have Crashes 2. Oh, wow. Well, who wants, to, who wants to start? <laughs> I guess I guess since it, since I've got it ranked the lowest, I'll, we'll, we'll, let's do Dead Zone. Um, and I have no problem with anything about Dead Zone. It just ended up bumped to 11. Uh, because everything else is so good and it's solid. And I think the only reason that it, that it didn't get higher is because it is so such a distillation of a, of a Stephen King novel that it almost loses the Cronenberg uh, touch. And it's, it's, you know, it's like if, if there are, there are elements of, of the dead zone that feel like this could have been farmed out to any number of directors. And that it comes right on the heels of Videodrome is is kind of stunning. Uh, so I appreciate the fact that it's his first real mainstream hit. Um, but because it is a real mainstream hit, it, it drops a little bit for me. So it's out of the top 10. Yeah, I mean, in a way, this is like a weaker version of what he'll get to in The Fly, too. The romance mm -hmm. that's doomed. Yeah. And uh, I wanted... This is one of those odd ones where i just want a little more movie here it just felt a little thin to me in terms of the relationship in terms of the way the couple get together uh and uh in terms of the way that the plot builds it, it almost almost works but it doesn't quite work to me yeah, yeah like there there's almost two films going on yeah you get your serial killer story and then you get to the presidential uh paranoia aspect and I, I they I they I think they could have been blended together a little better. But, but Sean, you it... had it higher, right? It's number three because it's the perfect film. <laughs> uh Christopher Walken is in a really great era for him. Yeah. 
And even more so than Vigo's character in History of Violence, this poor guy is doomed from the start, right? Everything, all he is is a nice high school teacher in love with another teacher. And everything should go great. And then on a frozen patch of road in the middle of the night, this horrible truck accident comes towards him for no reason. And everything from that point that he wanted is ruined. And even amongst the ruins, he makes the best of what he can, including this unexpected psychic gift that ends up saving humanity, but it can't, it can either save humanity or him. And he, he makes the right choice. He saves humanity. I just yep, think yep. it's really moving. I think it's a different love story than the one in The Fly because it's really, he wants a nuclear family in every way, which we don't really get the sense that Brunt, Seth, and and uh, the reporter are looking for. They're kind of like 80s swingers. But uh, this is like a guy in a New England state willing to settle down and have a simple life in a farmhouse. And it's denied him at every turn. And then... Uh, the psychic stuff is very well played, mm -hmm. subtle, yeah. powerful. It's purely cinematic. It's filmmaking that tells that story. You don't really need a lot of special effects. Walking and then Martin Sheen, good. right, just camping it up beautifully as only he can do. Yeah, one of the things I appreciate the most about it is the 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 guts that it takes to basically kind of argue that political assassination is necessary sometimes mm -hmm. <laughs> it's you know to save the world what are you going to do you're going to try to assassinate a presidential candidate i have a little bit of trouble with how easy it was for him to smuggle the gun into the church and then keep the gun in the church yeah. uh, it did take me out of that sequence you're making a really strong case for it sean and, uh, mm -hmm. and to be fair like I think from seven to 14 or so, I could rate it in almost any order. Uh, it just was lacking a little bit of depth for me. But the tragedy of it, you're right, the tragedy is really powerful. This mm -hmm. is the, the rare Cronenberg movie I wish was over two hours. Wish we had more time yeah. to linger. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's so, I mean, I would say Christopher Walken is, right, this is not an emotionally expressive role for him. Like, everything's in his eyes and in his posture. It's very subtle. So I can see, like, not connecting with him in some ways. He's very shut down, but he's shut down because all of these horrible, you know, whenever he engages something, he loses it. And... I just think he does this great job being this introverted outsider who's actually got his hand on the pulse of everything going on. Yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic performance. And I think he has that charisma. I mean, you know, like the camera loves certain people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and it love you know and often it's it's directed more often at, at, at actresses right and beauty but Cronenberg sees you know the appeal of Christopher Walken in every shot of him there's mm -hmm. something just so human and watchful about him in this mm -hmm. movie he's beautiful in a really interesting way yeah uh let's talk naked lunch before we talk crash then i think crash is going to be maybe more controversial would you guys both have naked lunch at eight seven okay so i had it 11 um this but is just i would say like you just said jason my my six to 11 i i could rearrange them without much conflict yeah same here it's just a little a little showy for me a little more experimental in a way that didn't quite pay off i mean it's i guess it's no surprise i have this paired with cosmopolis at 12 mm -hmm. they're both really his most experimental movies it is very showy he's very proud of all of his little creatures mm -hmm. and the world and the way the world transitions from reality to hallucination i mean it's a I I hesitate to use the word, but I actually think it was fun to see <laughs> all the the crazy and in, inventive ways he puts this world together. He filmed another unfilmable book in a way that I found very satisfying. Peter Weller is definitely having fun. Oh yeah, that that is is an inspired performance. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we need to dwell on it much. I think it's just a really great middle-tier experimental fun film by him. Well, I want to say, you know, this is one, you know, Paul has had some movies that he's revisited and they didn't hold up for him on the, on the, re, on the new viewing. I'm the opposite with Naked Lunch, right? I hated it when it came out. I, I walked out of the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It had so many things that offended me for some reason back in back in uh, 1991, and you know, not least of which it was the year of Judy Davis getting shot in the head. Yeah, right. And uh, I, I was a huge I'm a huge Judy Davis fan. I don't like her to get shot in the head so much. And uh, but on the rewatch, I, I, all of my objections faded away and I'm like, this movie is a trip. <laughs> and I enjoyed the trip. And, you know, I want I want my typewriter to become a bug with a talking <laughs> anus. Like, sure, yeah. I'm ready for that. <laughs> okay. And Judy Davis kind of killed herself, really, in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. She and brought herself. The, yeah. The homo the homosexual rape scene was like not the best part of the movie and not even the point of the movie. And uh it was just another weirdness in this world of hallucinations the main character was having. Yeah, that that's that that whole world of hallucinations is really what what brought it up to seven on my list. Um, is because this was the first, maybe the first time. Um, yeah, this this was like maybe a, a trial run for existence. You know, with the way that that this alternate world is just 
created and you're just you're kind of brought into it but you're walked into it rather than being just dropped and then info dumped you're 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 you slowly lose touch with reality just in the same way that he is as the story goes on until it just climaxes with a completely you know we're in another world in the end uh and so that, that was one of the things that, that really made it elevate for me up to up to number seven love that point you're making i think the period aspect helped a lot too right? yeah it did, it did it did the sister's best costuming efforts mm -hmm. and, and and the real world characters showing up and everything so mm -hmm. it's almost like a docudrama <laughs> with ginsburg and and uh of the beatniks yeah the whole the whole it's yeah uh, a warped portrait of the beat movement wow he, again you're you're convincing me to rate it higher except i can't rate it above <laughs> any of these other movies on my list he he filmed the unfilmable because on a fundamental letter level he understands beat poetry mm. he yeah gets it. it's a kind of a perfect combination for of his kind of limited emotional range it is extremely broad uh, intellectual range too yeah peter yeah. weller nails that he nails yeah. that weller is it. really feels like a cronenberg stand-in in a way yeah that is a that is a weird mix right intellectual broadness and emotional uh limitations i work with a lot of people like that <laughs> <laughs> they don't okay. often have major director directorial careers okay so crash is a movie i probably will argue with you about because crash has haunted me so make the case for being number 11 sean um oh i, I mean i i told you i feel terrible about it why is it that low <laughs> it's because i i viscerally enjoy some of the other movies more okay but i see what crash is and Deborah Cara Unger's performance is not my favorite in the movie, and the camera spends so much time with her. Mm -hmm. She comes off kind of a little cold and distant. And I get why it works, but I'm much more interested in Holly Hunter and Rosanna Arquette. Yeah, I can see that. And uh, I mean, I give all praise to this movie because I think it's actually a world challenging statement about subversion yes mm -hmm. i think it 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 you know it had controversial showings including bannings around the world and i found that book that that you know that there's there's academic books that look at the way different countries manage to import or not import crash to their local cinema and why and the you know the the science fictional eroticism of car fetish fetish and fetish i don't know what's the word i'm looking for sexual satisfaction from car crashes is a metaphor for like any non-mainstream non-missionary position sexual addiction mm-hmm and the fact that, in fact, there are so many of those in human nature, and we don't want to deal with that. It's the suppressed coming to the top. 
Right. And I think that is an aligning with Cronenberg's own self-admitted obsession with cars. And, uh, but it's a love-hate relationship. And a case for it to be in the number two on my list, dude. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the, the pivotal scene for me of that, of this film is when they're watching pirate video of car crashes. Mm -hmm. There's three different people on the couch in that one stunt actors, you know, hovel apartment. And they're basically in like a porn theater jerking off. Right. While they're watching this completely unsexy film footage that turns them all on more than anything else in their lives. Like, like to just to see Holly Hunter in that moment, fully committed to being that person, you know, who looks like a 1940s film femme fatale with her bob haircut and her suit, but she just wants to see somebody get mauled by a head-on collision. And I, I, th- and, you know, and James Spader and Deborah Kara Unger using car crashes to keep their sex life interesting (laughs) like there's a lot there and i think it's great i just think the things he did in i guess 10 other movies are even greater (laughs) see everything you've just said is why it's at five for me (laughs) why it's at two for me it's at two for jason wow jason healthy marathon world hiker yeah <laughs> yeah team leader in 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 corp in the corporate world loves crash the the kinky car sex movie yeah and about well, not yeah okay that's, <laughs> that's a completely accurate statement sean thank you <laughs> that's right the this this corporate uh intellectual guy here yeah Ooh, i didn't even say sis but that was what i implied yes <laughs> <laughs> yes i did because uh yeah because i chose a deep respect and appreciation for people's individuality the things that motivate you me anybody else uh is different from person to person the uh things that get us so excited uh what i found most surprising watching the movie is it's so focused on the individual, not about their effect on the larger world, right? If they had been inducing these car crashes and killing others, it would have been a horror film to me. But instead, it was this very strange sort of romance, and it's very strange sort of almost a manifesto for Cronenberg's view of the world, of how he just sees people as true individuals with true different motivations and true different kind of um, needs, and how those needs change as you go through your life there's a lot of wisdom in this movie and a lot of very great insight into what it means to be an, an individual and how your obsessions will really destroy your life. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you're, you're making me want to rank it, rank it higher than five, but. <laughs> All right. But... So let's, let's pause now. Let's each read our nine, our 19 or 17 through 11, and then we can dive into the top 10. So, Sean, what's your bottom uh, seven? You want me to go backwards? Yeah. 
All right. So bottom spider. Do we want to go in a circle or we want to want me to do all of them? Let's just each read our own list and okay. then we'll we'll talk about our number two. All right. Spider maps to the stars, dead ringers, M butterfly, cosmopolis, a dangerous method, and crash. Okay, and this is nineteen to eleven. Yeah, nineteen to eleven. Okay, M butterfly is nineteen. A dangerous method eighteen. Eastern promise is seventeen. Maps to the stars sixteen. Existence at fifteen. With crimes of the future at fourteen. A history of violence at thirteen. Rabbit at twelve, and the dead zone at eleven. I had dangerous method at nineteen and butterfly at eighteen. Spiders number seventeen. Crimes of the Future is number 16 for me. Maps of the Stars. Then kind of two, the two pairs at 15 or 14 and 13 are Rabbit and Shivers and 12 and 11 are Cosmopolis and Naked Lunch, which mm -hmm. I think are really great pairs for each other. Uh, we've talked about my number 10, which was Dead Zone. Mine was Cosmopolis, so we've talked about it. Mine's The Brood. Oh, okay. I have The Brood at number nine. Me too. So nine, 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 and ten. I guess that means it's properly rated. <laughs> <laughs> By us, at least. <laughs> it's a very good film, right? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I would just say, I mean, I I think the thing that one of the things that got my top tens where they are is I like a really good horror movie. And, and and I like his genre movies. He's he's one of the best genre filmmakers of all time. Mm -hmm. And The Brood is just a great, solid, satisfying, scary, gross horror movie. And to me, what makes it a, a level above is the whole uh, historical, personal attitude. You know, his famously his Kramer versus Kramer, the, the kind of autobiographical aspects of it that reflect back on his life and his fears and his confusion. I mean, in the odd way, it's probably his most autobiographical film. And in that aspect, I thought it was so powerful. And um, you know, there's a lot of sequences in this movie with the mother and the nursing that are just so just spooky and to stick with you now, samantha egger is just so powerful as that mother figure in this movie who's just so it's almost creature-like and then those strange creatures that kind of come from her and manifest around the 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 uh psychological the psychological place where she's living the institution uh, are so spooky it's a movie that's kind of grown on me the more i think about it yeah, if you if you put the 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 brood literally in the um, subgenre of killer babies, right? We've got going back to Barbarella with the dolls with teeth that wind up and try to eat Barbarella, and the little red suited uh, supposed dead daughter who drowns, haunting the family and don't look now in mm -hmm. Venice. Mm -hmm. and uh it's alive right the and rosemary's baby and he takes that 
that horror subgenre, and uh, from any of of the Night of the Living Dead movies, you know, when a child gets infected, um, and creates a whole new kind of horror with these mental projections of the angry mother. Yeah, they're really they're really like top tier killer babies. <laughs> yeah, this is also the first his first foray into psychology, uh, into experimental psychological treatment uh, as a as a place to to examine. Um, which, again, I mean, the film he did before this was Rabid, <laughs> you know, which is you know venereal vampiric uh, disease taking over the world. And to to pull it back into the personal and to be really so personal and to really go in and look at it psychologically and the and the effects of of violence and uh hostility and anger, uh the way they manifest uh psychologically, and then here we have those manifestations taking actual physical form. It's a it's a brilliant, a brilliant idea. And like like you said, it is just a fantastic horror film, uh, just from start to finish. It's it's amazing. Um, I want to something that's occurred to me while we're talking. Um, you know, another kind of sub theme he has in a lot of these films is the support group, mm -hmm. right? Like in the Brood at that psychological clinic, they're basically all damaged people there, supporting the each other in their injury in their mental problems and in existence the video gamers are like all addicts to the same uh platform the same system right that they, they meet in churches in little mm -hmm. groups yeah. as like charity cases and i have you know, my own personal experience with self-help and support groups over the years, um, like I don't have to name all of them, but like uh, Weight Watchers kinds of things and Al-Anon dysfunctional family stuff. And he seems to, he, he, he dramatizes people who share an affliction or an interest or a desire getting together to share it together in like a safe environment that's true that is a good ob observation crash. it happens in the future and crimes of the future right they're all fans yeah. of these, these subversive performances um it doesn't happen in every film but it happens enough that it's something that's sort of going through his mind in some way like what are these subcultures that exist outside of or hidden within the larger society yeah especially if yeah if you expand it out to subcultures uh, then that that hits almost every film <laughs> yeah 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 even to like this the world of science and the fly uh so we what was your number nine sean the fly the fly is your number wow. nine yeah wow I think <laughs> I, spoilers, it's my number one. <laughs> my number two. I think this is a case of um my rewatch 
lowering it a bit. Okay. I think it's great. I, I you know, I, I saw it in the theaters in the eighties. It, I had the best time ever. Um, I, that whole sequence where, you know, at the end where Brundlefly keeps merging himself with the apparatus is just like stellar, amazing horror filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But it's a remake of a 50s B movie. And I think it's just a really great, really great 80s update of a B movie. It's, okay. It doesn't, it, I mean, I, I enjoy it, but I, I don't know if it has. I guess I just don't enjoy it as much as some of the more serious films like History of Violence or Eastern Promises or as much as some of the weirder sci-fi films. I guess that's that's a totally valid argument. I, I, I agree. Uh, it ended up at number two for me mainly because I thought it was the most successful uh, combination of Cronenberg's vision and mainstream filmmaking. Uh, it was the best, the best of those two worlds coming together in a in a successful conglomeration. Um, and it's it's got operatic tragedy, the, the most disgusting body horror of of maybe any of the movies, uh, and fantastic performances. And it's it's one that I could watch over and over again. So, yeah, and, and so, the but, romance at the centers is unique for his movies. The only other time we really get a romance at the centers, Dead Zone, and mm-hmm. the bond between you know Goldblum and Davis is so obvious and palpable, and is in every scene together that I completely bought them as a couple. And it's this very insular film, right? It really is just a three hander. And I thought that tight focus really makes the film more powerful because you just feel so much for the the characters and it's got just the right amount of special effects mm-hmm. and it's got just the right amount of contrivance to it and it proceeds at a really stately pace uh i just and i i i, I find it captivating it's just think the 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 core story just is so interesting so resonant i mean it really is you can take it on a parable level having a person who's so obsessed with the thing that he's into with his passion with his professional ambition or whatever that he'll destroy in himself in order to or he will allow destruction to come upon him in order for him to achieve his dream and that will then require everyone else to respond and for the gina davis character to respond to be able to change with him just shows such a depth of character that i think it makes her you know just a, such an interesting woman yeah and one of the what, what, one of the things about what you just said is his it, it's not even so much that he's just willing to sacrifice everything for that that uh that science that scientific experiment he does it because he's emotionally damaged he's emotionally hurt he's drunk and he thinks she's cheating on him and so that's the trigger so he's he's not only you know willing to sacrifice everything but 
he's he's he does it almost without thinking mm-hmm. because he's just he's just he's emotionally i don't know uh almost out of control immature yeah 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 which again makes sense in context given his i'm sorry he's also doing it for the credit right he wants to be the one who gives this device to the world yeah so much ego attached to it so it's in a way his most humanistic movie to me i guess i just find it like a little cheesy at points yeah um like her nightmare birth scene where she gives birth to a maggot yeah is is like beyond body horror like that's like (laughs) caricature i I can see that i can see that and when he saves her from the hospital right it's it's um the hunchback of notre dame too the monster who loves the beautiful girl the beast the beauty and the beast and those are timeless fairy tales, but they're also kind of hoary and cliche. Okay, yeah, okay. But see, I, th- I think that's part of what elevates it for me, is that that's part of the thing that makes it palatable to a mainstream audience as well. And is, like like I said, makes it what I think is maybe the most successful uh, mixing of outside and inside influences. And as far as far as remaking remakes of fifties horror films, this is right there with the thing. Um, these are maybe the two that do it most successfully, uh, and better with... than the Blob, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, although the Blob's not bad, but it doesn't stand up to the Flyer or or, or well, yeah, the thing. thing. The original Blob is so good. <laughs> yeah. It is so good. It's so fun. Oh man, yeah. I... Fly, the fly for me was the, was the clear. Well, I was debating between the the fly and crash, and they're both off your board now, Sean. Uh, they are. Yep. All right. So we did my number nine already, the brood. And we did Sean's number nine. What did you have for number nine, Paul? Mine was the brood, also. Okay. Uh, who wants to go with number eight then? Well, my eight was shivers, so we've we've hit that and one. My, and mine was naked lunch. I had scanners. Scanners at eight. Okay. What? <laughs> okay. I think we're hearing the, the trade-off Sean and I made. Did you have that yeah. as your, your where do you have that one, Sean? One. Okay. One. Scanners wow. is number one. It always will be for all time. I've got it at four for me. But that's why is it number one? Oh, oh wait. Well, no, no, no. Wait. Well, let's let's start. Jason. Yeah, let's get let's Ex- like explain Jason. yourself. I have no complaints about scanners <laughs> per se. I think it's a little slow, and I think Patrick McGowan seems like he's sleeping, sleepwalking mm-hmm. through it at times. But the whole idea about the government conspiracy and the people with these effects, and God knows that fucking exploding head scene mm-hmm. <laughs> are amazing. Right, we're at we're at number eight out of nineteen, so we're at the, that we're at the good stuff, in yeah. my mind. Um, For sure. So the, the those small weaknesses, and also like, uh, I don't think it has the kind of deeper emotional resonances that I think each of the other movies above this on my list have. I also I think, think it's that's, the, that's that might be down to the performances, maybe. Yeah, and I think it's the less refined version of Videodrome. Honestly, I think Videodrome is a superior film to 
scanners and they both tread similar ground. So it's, I think it's very good. I just don't think it's my number one. Yeah, it ended up at four on mine, mainly because I've got an emotional connection to it as being like the first X-Men movie. And that in my head was just, when I saw it, I was like, this is what, you know, a comic book movie could be. It's It's got everything. Uh, and man, um, like you said, this the exploding head is is untouchable. <laughs> God, um, exploding head. It blew yeah, it up that, real good. It was fantastic. Yeah. That's that's the sort of thing that that I mean that put him on the map. That exploding head. Yeah. Well, I had remembered that since like I was twelve years old or something. So it's obviously, you know. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. And like I said, my my main the main reason it's, it goes up so high on mine is that it was the first time that I ever experienced like this secret society of uh mutant powered people underground being hunted by the government uh being hunted by other mutants uh and and i love patrick mcgowan even if he's sleepwalking so i think and, it, fit, it fit the character yeah yeah the lucky no, thing about this film is that even the the lesser performances are cast perfectly for their roles right so he he unleashed this monster on society without even quite being aware that he did it. Right? Mm -hmm. He's a he's an absent-minded professor who created a you know a poison that injured people's lives and gave them all these cool X-Men powers. And Jennifer O'Neill, she's a model, maybe more than an actress, but she's beautiful and she does what she needs to do as Jean Grey. And uh, Cameron Vale is a blank. He's he's engineered and drugged and manipulated and abandoned on the streets as a blank personality. He's like the Namor in Fantastic Four <laughs> who forgot who he was between World War II and the 1960s. Right. And then Johnny Storm finds him and shaves off his beard and gives him a haircut and it's like oh it's namor i remember now throw him <laughs> in the ocean <laughs> and we have the first mutant you know ever since um i think paul you said it all this is the first x-men movie for all intents and purposes and it's better than half of the ones that actually came since mm -hmm. <laughs> no arguing that so it 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 had everything I want, you know, and 1981, right? This was right around the the peak X-Men years of Dark Phoenix and uh Wolverine oh, right. and all oh, of that yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. And so you could read the comics, and then in this movie, somebody had secret societies and underground experimentation and evil mad scientists. And twin brothers who were doomed to battle. Oh yeah, and the brothers, the Michael Ironside. Plane. Michael Ironside just be just embodying, you know, a, a super villain. That, that was just an amazing performance, an out of left field. Who could have seen that coming performance? Right. Yeah. Great. And just... there's a whole 
like Crimes of the Future, an appreciation of artists mm -hmm. and the role of creativity in dealing with psychic trauma. Yeah. And the psychic trauma concept, which he keeps going back to, especially in those earlier films, right? The yeah. same concept of psychic trauma that we get in The Brood. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's more of a 70s sort of self-help group, right? They're getting together to have their primal screams or whatever, but mm -hmm. it's because if they don't, they make people's heads explode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, I could... I'll never stop watching it. It's just one of my favorite movies of all time. Again, you make a great case for it. It's just a, a matter of numbers for me. Yep. This this is just brutal. This is tough. <laughs> all right, so what we're number, at number what, seven. Okay. I've got Naked Lunch at seven, so. I've got Crimes of the Future, maybe partly because it's the one I saw most recently, and I really liked it. And I have Eastern Promises. So do any of us want to talk about any of those? Uh, we already have. We already did. All right. Uh, six, I have Existence. And I have Eastern Promises. And I have Dead Ringers. So we've hit all of those. Uh, five is A History of Violence. I've got Crash at five. I've also got History of Violence. So four. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, okay. We're we're counting down to I think there's just one movie that's left in a way. I guess there I is. Uh four well, let's, is let's let's count to it. Four, <laughs> I have Dead Ringers. Existence. I have scanners. Scanners Sorry. in existence. Okay. Yep. What did I you like... have, Paul? Scanners. Scanners. Okay. And uh, here we go for number three. Video drum is number That's, three. This is it. Yeah. I have Spider. Dead Zone. And Video Drum for me is number one. All right. So let's I, go ahead. I have Video Drum at two. Yep. And your number one again, Sean, was Scanners. Okay. So we all have Video Drum in our top three, right? Yep, Where is I it guess. for you, Jason? I has number three. What's yep. two? Two, I have Crash. So let's let's run through ours top to bottom. So I have The Fly is number one. Crash is number two. Video Drum is number three. Dead Ringers, four. History of Violence, five. Existence, six. Eastern Promises, seven. Scanners, eight. The Brood, nine. And Dead Zone, ten. Well, um, my number one was Videodrome, two, The Fly, three, Spider, four, Scanners, five, Crash, six, Dead Ringers, seven, Naked Lunch, eight, Shivers, nine, The Brood, ten, Cosmopolis. And mine is one, Scanners, two, Videodrome, three, The Dead Zone, four, Existence. Five, History of Violence. Six, Eastern Promises. Seven, Crimes of the Future. Eight, Naked Lunch. Nine, The Fly. And ten, The Brood. So Videodrome is the only one that made all of our top threes. So, yeah. Or, so if we were doing this point by points, I think that would mean Videodrome was number one. Like I have it placed. 
Just saying. <laughs> Good point. <Yeah>. Good point. <laughs> Sean spiked my reading for Crash. <laughs> right, why don't you make the case for it, Paul? Videodrome is everything Cronenberg is unfettered, unrestrained, no filters, no interest in mainstream acceptability. It's maybe the purest Cronenberg, I think. Uh, that's why my top three goes with Videodrome as the purest Cronenberg himself. The Fly is, is the purest combination of Cronenberg's sensibilities and mainstream. And then Spider is just the pure cinematic. Uh, oh. no, there's nothing else in there but that cinema that cinematic vision um but videodrome i mean it's just it's so good i mean everything about it is just dirty and kinky and violent and weird and it also has that whole submergence of reality into hallucination and you never can really see where that starts and where it ends uh, well, well, you know where it ends <laughs> with a gun to the head, and it's again that classic. You know, he's it's, it's a tragic ending, sort of. Uh, it's got your secret societies. It's got mad scientists. It's got Debbie Harry. Uh, unfortunately, it has James Woods, but you know what can you do? He wasn't. I don't know if he, he probably wasn't always a a horrible thing well, well no and he's he's fantastic in this movie yeah i know exactly no early james woods i mean yeah he's he 80s james wood is woods is fantastic it's just mm -hmm. shame he went. well i mean if we look at the main character as a cronenberg analog in this movie um he's right out there as an amoral pervert is <laughs> the main character and yet so that's great casting for James Woods. And <laughs> you still feel for the guy. You relate mm -hmm. to him. You understand his dilemma at every moment in the movie. And he's just trying to figure out this, this weird anomaly that attracts him inexorably. And mm -hmm. maybe reprograms our minds and our bodies over the airway. Yeah, it's 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 alarmist, but it's also, you know, a science, pure science fiction. It's it it's a almost a perfect uh, snapshot of early '80s, late '70s, early '80s uh, media. Um, yeah. That that whole the whole pirate signal idea, something that I I don't know if people would even understand nowadays without actually having having lived through it. Uh, that that I mean, I'm sure they would, but having lived through that period, it, it lends itself to it lends it to me uh, a sense of realism and a sense of just grit and and uh, everything is just so tactile and so touchable. I mean, yeah, you everything in every scene is just uh, it's just so slimy and scary and and just breaking down the, between reality and, and hallucination this fancy and then concepts like you know the new flesh and the the cancer gun just every, there's so many amazing concepts 
in this that that and not the least of which is the video drum itself the video drum signal amazing well that that video culture the heyday of the vhs culture right mm -hmm. there were pirate tv shows exactly go yeah. off the airwaves and even some of the mainstream ones adopted that video look like you could you could with the tape and the video editing board you could create whatever kind of crazy stuff you wanted to yeah mm -hmm. and then send it out at 2 30 in the morning over the over the local cable access or advertise it in classified ads in the back of fangoria magazine <laughs> yeah 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 I and mean, it goes right back to that uh i don't i can't remember when it was but you all remember the the uh the max headroom takeover yeah pirate signal that took over uh I, I don't remember the details of it right now i should have looked that up but that's that's you know that's something straight out of video drum could have been mm -hmm. yeah and it and it was a was a place where subversive voices could be heard mm -hmm. who weren't you know going to be on on network television two hours earlier and so because um, of that yeah, and because we are still living in the monoculture, more or less, those these were the ways that people could show their uh, existence in the outside world, in a different world, and express an individuality. So you're using the media itself as like a ghost in the machine mm -hmm. in order to expose people to different things, to, to the larger, more perverse, the more uh, weird world. I also really like Wood's seduction into the world. Mm -hmm. Using Debbie Harry as um, this almost blank canvas he can, can project his own perversities into. And so he he's fascinated with her. She's his road into this deeper, darker world that he ends up loving. And so he there's this very strange romance of this woman who is a mystery to him, who is continually introducing him to more and more things he hasn't seen before. In a way, it's like a precursor to Crash, right? Because mm -hmm. he's uh, he's experiencing a world he maybe didn't expect, had no idea existed, and is ultimately seduced by it. It changes him in profound ways. I mean, that final scene of him disappearing into the screen Fucking a, like that might be the best ending of any Cronenberg film. And, and I love I like, the ending of Crash Two with them lying by the side of the road. But anyway, and I, I like that it it doesn't have a clear political message, but there is clearly some political messages going on in there. That you have ultimately the the video drum signal is being used by conservatives to kill off the weirdos and the freaks. Uh, who would watch this sort of stuff and well and then it's also being you know used to brainwash you know these weirdos and creeps to to fight against the conservative impulse to control it's that that's that in itself is something that i i would i really want to sit with a lot longer sometime and and just go through the film scene by scene and, mm -hmm. and work with it because it, it it's it's a way of, he doesn't take sides politically, and so all sides in this are 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 uh, corrupted in a way, 
by the video drum signal. Oh, that's interesting. Like it's a way that the a certain element of society is co-opted. Yeah. Yeah. So they're into their own fetish and they're not into the larger things they can be doing as part of society. And there's just no sympathy for from the conservative side. It's just, you know, if you watch this sort of thing, if you are this sort of person, you deserve madness and death. And that's what we're going to give you until we can clean up society that way. It's it's horrible and it's prescient. I, I think there is a kind of anti-religion or religious cult statement. I don't know because it, it transcends flesh, it transcends know, a, a spiritual religion into a material religion. It's a materialist thing, and this new flesh is, you know, like like he says all the way up in Crimes of the Future. You know, reality is the body is reality. Uh, it's been there all along in these in these movies. Well, but it's saying that that that's what religion is. That it is yeah. not a true spiritual faith it's a manipulation by hypocrites okay okay yeah yeah that's, that we yeah. fall victim to which is all that cnn is saying today yeah yeah <laughs> about about fox news and um i also the the thing that stands out to me about this movie and that is another precursor to the fly is it's the examination of the penetration and the breakdown of the male body. Mm -hmm. Brood is about the female body, the mother. But this one, like James Woods, literally develops a slit in his body through which he can insert things or pull things out. That yeah. is a horrible transformation that makes him diseased scared violent and powerful all at different times and phases but then you have the, the you know the, the the aspect where that's really hallucination and it's not until crimes of the future again that he's able to actually put a physical slit in his belly and look inside the body and and you know basically bring that image back in a, dif in a different sexual way uh it's i mean it's but like it, everything comes from videodrome i think everything that he did is manifest in videodrome and can be looked back to videodrome i argue that it's not hallucination uh it has to be that his body really changes yeah. and that the tv really swells into lips and kisses him and the videotape is organic and breathes does it matter if it's real it only matters to the viewer it, 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 the end result is the same in the story i think yeah naked but, lunch style right it, it it matters subjectively in the story how the character perceives things but if he goes into the video screen at the end that means the signal the electronic signal and the flesh are the same thing. Boy, there's a That's comment. My interpretation. That, there is mm -hmm. a comment right there that seems so prescient too, right? I mean, uh, that's what people say about social media. The person is lost in their social media. The person is is only connected to, through their phone. They're, they're, they may as well be fused with the devices that are part of their world. 
and it's it's also a situation where i mean it's you know he's the the television shows the image of him shooting himself in the head and the tv set explodes but that's when then he does it in for real long live the new flesh and shoots himself and that's where we end so it's it's it it's almost like he's doing it because he's seeing it played out you know someone else is feeding him this image and like with the uh self-immolation in cosmopolis he's doing it not on his own impulse but he's doing it because he's seen it done and he's being shown to do it i think i think he's completely lost any kind of uh uh individuality or any kind of purpose at that point he's just programmed and that in my interpretation or is he looking for Nikki? No, I think at that point he's just done. He's he's he's, he's used he's done what he was supposed to do. You know, he he pulled his trigger, and then uh, then he's useless. Then he's thrown away. It's, again, the politics in this are something that uh, really needs to be dug into. Um, I need to look and see if anybody has done that. Just so much good stuff. I think I think we ended up with a great top choice by consensus. Yeah, I'm fine with that too. No, well, I mean, if if it's if it's one, two, and three, <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah that that transcends our individual tastes and preferences for the rest of these movies. But it, if that's the movie that ends up on you know that high on everybody's list, I think we can safely say that is that's <laughs> Cronenberg. The conclusion of our whole project, <laughs> the best. Which people are going to listen to and go, well, no shit, Sherlock. We had to go through all that to <laughs> reach that conclusion. Uh, You're yeah, welcome, well, America. Yes. Yeah, after two and a half hours, of, uh, I think they're happy to come to a conclusion there. <laughs> we'll just uh, jump to the end. Oh, okay, video drum. Yeah, video drum, all right, that's what we expected. <laughs> I no, gotta say, this I have a great idea. This is this was fun to break it all down. Yeah. I am so glad we ended up uh, watching all these Cronenberg films and really getting a chance to break them down. Thank, I, well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate that um, because uh, this is exactly what I wanted. The when we first agreed to take this on, I think is when Crimes of the Future had just been released or was just about to be released. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid I was going to be disappointed in his films. And just the opposite happened. It made me really appreciate him as a filmmaker whose entire body of work is at such a high level. And he brings such a brilliant, smart mentality to his work. Uh, even the least of his movies is... is so intellectually fascinating and emotionally moving. And I don't know if there's any other filmmaker who has this range from what they've, what they, especially from where they started to, you know, still working. He's 80 years old this year and, and Crimes of the Future is basically still at the top of his game, just not quite as top of his game as, you know, what he's been doing. And again, like you said, there might've been some rust kind of contributed to that. His next movie, the shrouds sounds like it's going to be amazing. Uh, so we might have to come back when that's released. And thank you for <laughs> doing this. And thank you to everyone yeah. who listened for the full 
Yeah. And if, if, if anybody listening wants to suggest what we should watch, maybe do that. Does, do we, do you hear, get feedback? Do you get feedback, Jason? Not much, but if you well, listen, maybe this will be the one. Yeah. Let's, Tell let's us what to watch it, next. Post it to our social media too. Yeah. Thank yeah. You.